The Gym Day Podcast is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Now batting, number one in our hearts. At least he'd like to think so. It's the Gym Day Podcast. And we welcome you into the Gym Day Podcast once again. We appreciate you clicking on us, downloading us. We hope you subscribe, you'll rate and review, and we hope you are hanging tough out there. We've got a another walk back in time here today because when he came to the Reds, all of a sudden, man, that ERA was nice. And he was one of the wily vets that was a pleasure to be around. Let's welcome in david weathers david how you doing man doing great jim man really excited to be able to do this podcast and uh i can tell i can little, tell the excitement i can tell the <laughs> excitement is just oozing out of your veins it is man i'm i'm super, i'm just jacked right now <laughs> all right so where are you coming to you're in the uh as you call it god's country in tennessee right yeah the, uh when i retired in 09 um uh, you know, we just built a home there, and I think in 07 or 08. And so once I retired, that's went back there and where I raised my kids, where I went to high school and where my wife went to school. And so we came back home and have been coaching and playing basketball and baseball and volleyball ever since. And, uh, man, just life is good. Coaching on what levels? Uh, well, I started off when I first retired, I took my son and about eight of his buddies and we formed a little travel team and we practiced and played those guys. And now they've all graduated from high school and went on to do different things. And so I coached uh, them through high school nice. and coached my daughters in youth league basketball until my wife, she coaches the junior high team. So I got them to her and, uh, did all I could do with them. My knowledge was limited in basketball so i did all i could do i got all my drills from her and uh so it was a blast and i tell you uh the greatest thing about the youth sports that some of these people are missing today is we had so much fun you know getting better obviously and practicing the right things but we had so much fun with those kids and uh man it was uh, truly a blessing being around with all of them and that's the levels i coached and i'm still coaching after ryan graduated in 2018 i still uh, I'm an assistant coach for the high school baseball team where I went to school. And, and well, and I can't, I can't miss the fact that Jim, we won in 2017, we won the only baseball state championship at our school. And so that's probably, and I will say this, my pitched in a bunch of huge baseball games and, and played in a bunch of them. Uh, but watching your son had been a part of something like that and, uh, he pitched a shutout that day to win the state championship and uh, probably one of the, the greatest days on the baseball field for me. I don't think there was any doubt about that. Congratulations on that, by the way, watching that and learning about that from afar. But when I think of uh, – well, first of all, let me ask this question. How long before you become he's Ryan's dad instead of David Weathers? <laughs> oh, that's me. It, that's already there, which is really cool. Uh, <laughs> and for and those I, don't know, I don't want to, hate to interrupt you, but for those that don't know, Ryan drafted in the first round, what by the Padres? Um, he was seventh pick. Yeah, just so sorry to interrupt there. I just wanted those that's that okay. don't don't know. That's why I said, are you Ryan's dad now? <laughs> oh yeah, and you know the cool thing about it is, is we'll go to a local basketball game where Carly. My oldest daughter is playing her junior high game. My youngest daughter, Allie, is playing. And, you know, they'll come to Ryan and get his autograph, and he's just the best thing since sliced bread. I'm just that old has-been horse that's out in the pasture that uh, no one has any more time has any more time for. So, And it's really cool. I, uh, I'm i glad uh, and enjoy the fact that now, you know, he'll call me and ask for some pointers or whatever, but it's nice just being his dad and watching him play and uh, – now, I traveled a lot to the Midwest League and tried to get to as many games as I could. Uh, I will tell you this, Jim, it is a lot tougher on this side, watching your son play. And, I bet. And try to Do you get more nervous? Ladder. Oh, not even close. We were on vacation last year, and I'm on the beach, and, man, I got my phone out, and I'm watching that MILB, and he's pitching against whoever. 
And it's hard for me to, sometimes I'll just have my phone to Kelly and I just got to walk off. <laughs> you know, I'm just so nervous because, you know, you know, yeah. uh, when you raise your son and he's been in that environment and uh, I, I know personally how tough it is to get to the big leagues. And I know that a lot of things, it's not just about your talent. Things have to go right, right place, right time. Someone has to like you. Um, and on top of that, you know, you have to perform, man. So all that stuff goes through my head. I'm getting a little bit better about it, you know, but I feel like that uh, it was a lot easier for me to go out there and pitch with runners on base as, as opposed to watching them pitch with runners on base. Wow. Do you, how much advice do you give him? Whatever he asks. You know, I try to stay and let him be his own man. But, yeah. you know, there's a, there, the thing that, about the minor leagues is sometimes, um, you know, you get these little funks, and, and, and especially for him being last year uh, 19 years old and in the Midwest League, you're one of the youngest kids in that league. Right. And you're coming out of high school with no college experience. And, you know, those kids are not used to – not having success and when all of a sudden pitches are normally blowing guys away with or uh or souvenirs in the stands or you know their doubles and triples and you're giving up crooked numbers that's the biggest uh learning curve for guys like ryan you know they have the stuff they have the body they have all the the mind and stuff like that but sometimes they've never been uh hit around a little bit and, and have to uh figure out what do you do when things aren't going right and you come across some adversity and so that's that was good for him last year he learned he had a lot of adversity uh come his way and i felt like he made some really good adjustments and and, and did well with it uh so he's in san diego right now and i think he has an inning sunday uh, in an inner squad so uh and you know jim what was sad is for him is he was having a really good spring yeah and um, they were getting ready to bring him over to throw a couple of innings in a big league game out of minor league camp. Oh, man. And that he was going to pitch on that Friday and that Thursday is when they sent everyone home. Yep. Shut it down. So, right you know, right. So, you know, that's part of that adversity that no one sees. You know, you're right on the threshold of, of getting the pitch in front of the big league coaches and they get to get a taste of you. And so now he's getting to do that hopefully Sunday. Wow. Well, what I remember, and this makes me feel so old, is when David was a red, all of a sudden I look down from the press box one day and I see David out there throwing pitches to this youngster. Big kid. Big kid. Yeah. And it's out in the outfield. But he is crushing the ball from the left-hand side. And this was countless times you guys were on the field doing this. Oh, and, hitting bombs and we're all like oh my goodness this this kid's babe ruth well jim when i knew he had a chance to to have a shot at going to the big leagues he figured out at about eight nine years old when the fans started coming in so he would wait till he wanted to hit after the visiting yeah. team yes. so he could put on a show and he did and, and so he's crushing balls and he's looking out at me and he's smiling. And, and, and I told him one day, I said, dude, don't feel special. I said, a lot of guys are taking me deep. So it ain't anything new, but he, he thrived on that. And I told my wife, I said, you know, he loves that atmosphere. Uh, and I said, you know, he won't shy away from it. And I think that's what Jim at the end of the day, him being around all of those players, he would sit there and watch Joey Votto because he played first base. He'd watch Votto just get, do ground balls and how he covered first, how he put the tag on. He's always been a student of the game. And the, one of the best things that ever happened that I, I love is one, you know, I'm sitting there watching the game down in that room we had off the bullpen. And I see this little hand out and Dusty's filling it full of seeds. And if Ryan's hand, he's sitting right beside Dusty during the game. <laughs> That's awesome. Unbelievable. But yeah, those things he still remembers vividly. Yeah, he loves Dusty because Dusty was always giving him and Darren uh, opportunities to go out there and play and watch the games from the dugout, which was, man, I'm telling you, if these major league managers and these organizations understood man, what that means to those kids, it, you know, they get a chance to see what real big leaguers play like. And, yeah. and he did that at the time he was 10 years old. He had the look of 
uh, he knew how to carry himself on a ball field. Oh, he was down there all the time. I mean, I distinctly remember high-fiving him every time he came up the steps. Um, well, we would laugh because Jim Fay and him after the game, he had, when Kelly and him would be sitting in that little room waiting on uh, us to come out, all the media is walking through going, hey, Ryan, hey, Ryan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. The whole media knows him. Oh, yeah. And I remember being on the field one day, and he was there, and you guys were getting ready to stretch or throw or something. And it was the first time I saw him throw left-handed, I believe. And I'm like, David, you got, oh, yeah. a, you got a lefty? I'm like, what was your reaction when you first saw him Like, realize, okay, he's a lefty. He really got shot. Well, you know, Jim, when you talk to any guys that's been around the game very much you can tell within five minutes like how ball comes out of a guy's hand and oh yeah no matter what age you can see it and when he was six or seven that ball just came out so crisp and smooth with you know no effort and i told my wife and i was like you know we just got to get his mechanics solid i said but you know that's the type of arm that's free and easy and the ball jumps that will never change you know you don't have to manufacture it yeah and, uh, and, you know, Jim, one day we were, he went on the Philadelphia trip with me. You're going to love this. He's out there shagging, right? And those Philadelphia fans are giving it to all of us. Well, Ryan catches a fly ball up against the wall. And they said, nice catch, little weathers. Can we have a baseball? And he goes, you want it? That guy goes, yeah. And he shook it like he's going to throw it to him. And he turns and fires it into the bucket. Oh. And, the guy, and the guy just starts wearing right out. You suck, little weathers. You're the worst. You're never going to be anything. And Ryan is just laughing. I'm like, welcome to Philly. <laughs> Absolutely welcome to Philly. I've had some things said to me in Philadelphia, and I just look around I'm like, I'm not even a player. Why are you, oh, yeah, don't why are you getting on me, man? They boot Santa Claus. <laughs> I know. I mean, just some brutal things. But, no, that's great. And, uh, you know, I think those memories have to be priceless for him and hopefully he's just starting a whole boatload of new memories um yes but it was very cool you were always uh gosh how many years did you have you have 19 years in the big league service years? i wound up having right at 17 service time I, yeah service yeah. time and i wound up having between minor leagues and major leagues i played from 88 to 2009 wow. uh, so it wound up being right at 20 two years total that's quite the pension well it is and, and i'm gonna say it's quite the uh, arthritis too you know and the bones and uh but it, you know you don't realize how fast and that's the reason i've told ryan to try to enjoy all of this <laughs> you know i started in 1988 and jim it 2009 was a blur that's crazy, yeah. Um, you know, 22 years of playing, but it seemed like it was two years when it was over with. Yeah, yeah. And that's when we're younger, we don't – I mean, we enjoy it, but we don't necessarily, like, really cherish it until later on you wish that you would have cherished it more while it was happening. Yeah. But No doubt, no doubt. Let's see, we, you went to the Yankees. You, you pitched in the World Series in, like, 96? 96. Have, have that right? 96 that was against the um we played texas in the division series baltimore in the championship series and then atlanta in the world series yeah wow world series ring with the new york yankees does that seem like a yes, lifetime sir. ago or does that seem it like does. yesterday it does you know in 1992 i was an alternate on the blue jays team so i got a ring for that one but the 96 was much more special because I, you know, I actually pitched in the clinching game, game six. I come in behind uh, uh, Jimmy Key uh, against the Braves. And so, you know, that was so the tension. Uh, people that's never played playoff baseball, the tension inside that dugout, you understand how important each of the 27 outs are. All are hard to get. All are magnified, and all of them are huge. And that whole run in Texas, you know, they should have been up on us two to nothing, uh, two games to none, and they threw a ball away, and we scored to win the game. But every series was tough. Even though we, I think we took Baltimore in five, every game was nip and tuck. And then you get to the World Series, we go down 2-9 to Atlanta, fight back. Pettit has that unbelievable one nothing game against Smoltz 
uh, we turned around and we beat Glavin and then or beat uh, Avery, and then wound up being mad at beating Maddox in Game Six. And uh, you, that experience is just unreal. I've just never been a part of something that was um, so special because that was the first championship that brought the Yankees kind of back in the fray of being contenders every year. We won the first in 96, and then they won it in, you know, 98, 99, and 2000. I almost right. won it in 2001. But it was, it was cool. It was one of the most special times of my life as far as just being able to pitch in that clinching game and dogpiling uh, from the dugout. It was, it, was, it was good. I bet. You come to the Reds in 2005. Now, when you came to the Reds, did something change with you mechanically or – was it because you were just a wily veteran and you had learned how to pitch? I'm talking about your ERA. You had a sub four ERA your entire time with the Reds. Oh five to uh, what? Oh eight had thirty three. Yeah, oh nine had thirty three saves in two thousand and seven, um, and the ERA was solid. Um, what was the difference when you were a Red? Well, it turned for me in in, in '98. I'd I was really struggling. I, you know, I wasn't pitching well. And I sat down with Greg Maddox for about two hours down in Atlanta and just went over, you know, uh, honest assessment from him for me. And and I asked him to to evaluate and talk and and Jim some of the best advice that he gave me. You know, I used for the rest of my career. Uh, and when he was telling me, no matter what, you're throwing strike one and, um, you know, trust your stuff, all the things you hear from all these people. But when he started talking to me about, you know, the sequences and all this kind of stuff, that was great. But the one thing he said is your plan never changes. No matter what, strike one and go from there. But your plan is always the same every time you pitch. And see, I'd never been like that. And so when I started executing that, 98 started off rough, but I stayed with the program, get, get, get started with the Reds, and, and had one or two bad outings. And had, had a really good year. But I had two bad outings, and, you know, uh, Jim Bowden wanted to make a move. And it wasn't that I was throwing bad. I was throwing the ball really well. Um, but, I, you know, those two outings were, were, were deadly. I mean, and so he sent me out. But when I went to the Brewers, I picked right back up. And ever, you know, when I got with the Brewers from 98 to the, the to 09, I figured out myself and how I needed to attack, how I needed to prepare. And and once I got to the Reds in 05, I had my first two or three outings were unbelievably bad. And, of course, Marty, who I love dearly, Marty goes, this has been a t- – uh, a titanic struggle to say the least and epic failure. And he was right. I'd have you know, three outings, the, the, the sky had fallen and all, you know, but I stayed with that plan. And, and, and I, I promise you, Jim, after that outing, uh, for the rest of that year and for the rest of the time in Cincinnati, uh, which is a hitter's ballpark, I just stayed with my plan and, and it works. You know, you got to believe in yourself. And I felt like I had the best 88 mile an hour fastball in the game. Wow. Yeah. That's what I love. You knew how to pitch, man. I mean, you were not yeah. a thrower; you were a pitcher. Yeah, uh, and you know, I... And, and I enjoyed getting outs. You know, knowing that my stuff was not electric and all that, but you know, I could still get out there and get, put the zeros up. How finally do you look back on your time with the Reds? I mean, you got a lot of a lot of uniforms oh, on your belt. Everybody asked me. Everybody asked me, "Where's your favorite place to play?" And without a doubt, it was Cincinnati. Uh, when when I retired until Ron got drafted with San Diego, we as our family had adopted that as our the team that we followed that we like. Really? Cool. And, oh, yeah, the Reds, is, you know, as our family still, you know, it'll always have a special place because my daughters, you know, were young there and, and, and raised there, and uh, we just enjoyed everything. I loved all the clubhouse guys. You know, Rick Stowe, still, Rick Stowe and I still stay in contact with one another. And it, I just enjoyed every part of that. And I'll tell you, Jim, when they traded me to the Brewers. You weren't happy. That was a devastating. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't that I wasn't happy, and it wasn't that I was mad. I was devastated. 
And I'm not going to tell you who I had the conversation with, but I had had a conversation four days earlier that I was retiring after this season and I wanted to retire a red. Ah. And, that, and I was told that that's going to happen. And it was a very higher up that I trusted. And three days later, we landed in San Francisco. I'm out there playing catch. And they come and get me and tell me I've been traded to the Brewers. And I was devastated. And a matter of fact, I told them, I said, I'm not reporting. That they just wasted whatever, which has probably turned out to be a fungo and a rosin bag. But, uh, you know, I was like, I'm not going. Uh, that's how much I enjoyed Cincinnati. I wanted to retire there. I wanted that to be the last place I ever played. And, you know, as players sometimes, well, you know, it was hard for me to get over uh, because I felt like I'd been promised that. And, you know, things in life just sometimes just don't work out. But just to answer your question, that's how much we enjoyed Cincinnati. Wow. Well, hopefully you're a little bit over it now. And, oh, uh, I am. I mean, I love coming back. And, you know, Kelly and I, once our kids are grown and we have a little more time and stuff, you know, we love coming and watching. She loves watching baseball as much as I do. And, uh, you yeah, know, we'll, we'll make sure we get back up there. But, yeah, for sure that my time in Cincinnati is – uh, one of the best times of my career, for sure. Who are some of your, some of your time in Cincinnati? Or some of your former teammates that you? Who are the teammates that first come to mind? Aaron Harang and I still were in contact when Ryan went and signed to San Diego. We went out there and spent you know the day or so with him and Jen and their their family. And, you know, Aaron's probably one of my best friends in life, and so we stay in contact with each other. Uh, junior, we always had a good time and. Me and him talked to each other several times and uh, saw Dunner on uh, – uh, he he has a travel ball team out of Houston and saw him in Atlanta two or three times. And it was funny watching him coach. Uh, I bet. You know, those guys really stick out. But, you know, Chris Ammon played there. Uh, yeah. Uh, Danny Graves. I mean, there's so many. You know, I have so many good teammates. Uh, I love Johnny Cueto, you know, Vokey. All those guys were just uh, – Ron Frill. God bless his soul, but you know he was one of my favorite teammates, uh, Larue. Uh, I love Cowboy, and and I do have a story about him. It's, Larue, it's not really rated R, but it's it's in that neighborhood. Well, lay it but, on us, Jim. It's one of the funniest things I've ever been a part of on the bus. <laughs> All right, so we fly in from wherever, but we're flying into Chicago. I want to say we were coming in from like Colorado. It was a solid flight where he'd got, you know, he'd got tanked pretty good. And so he gets on the bus in Chicago and our AC is broken. And it's, I mean, it is a thousand degrees when we get there because we've had a day game in Colorado and it was still like six o'clock when we got there. And so LaRue just gets buck naked. All he has on is his cowboy boots. <laughs> well, we're going down I-80, the Kennedy Expressway. Dunner just pops that hatch open up top yeah. and throws Larue's clothes out on the road. Oh, no. So the bussy starts to pull over, right? And LaRue thinks he's in trouble because he's naked. And his rear end was as red as a, as a, a tomato where everybody was just smacking his rear end as he walked up the aisle. <laughs> and so he thinks he's in trouble. Well, the bussy's pulling over to to sit there and let them come fix our AC. And we're like, no way, Hoss, get us to the hotel. We, we can survive it. Well, LaRue's looking for his clothes. No clothes anywhere. And I forget what he had to wear, but when he walked off, he had no clothes. So when he walked off of that bus to go get, to get his luggage to go to his room in Chicago, I can't remember what he had on, but it was like a little shirt or something somebody gave him to pour around him. And the, But it was so funny because, you know, He's the cowboy. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'm telling Jim, it was when when Dunner popped that hatch and there with those clothes. I'm like, oh my god! Did he ever figure out it was done? It did it. Oh, he, Dunner told him. <laughs> he said, "Don't take them off, and you won't lose them." You know, <laughs> it's one of those deals. That's sound advice. That's oh, good yeah, advice. Real good advice. <laughs> Real good advice. But, the cowboy, yeah. Jason Larue. Coming yeah. around the corner wearing nothing but cowboy boots and a smile. Yeah, and you know you got Matt Belisle and uh, and one of my favorite Joker. coaches I ever had, Tom Hume. 
uh, you know, we uh, just had such a good time. Yeah, Hume. Well, I mean, what a what a guy Hume was. They he don't was, come any better. He was beloved and still is, but particularly with the bullpen guys. Uh, well, he was like our dad. Yeah, he was so solid. You yeah. know, and he was honest with us, but he always was man building us up and just you know, he's one of those guys. If I was ever a, a coach. At that level, I would want to be like uh, uh, Hummer was because it was always he would teach you, he would talk to you, he would try to fix what needed fixing. But at the end of the day, it always ended positive. Like, you're going to be fine. You're good. And he's just one of the best. But, you know, I love playing for Jerry and Aaron. I mean, and Dusty. I I liked all my managers there. Molly, you know, I liked all those guys. Uh, Gully, they were all great. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I just don't, I don't have really a bad thing to say. Jerry Naren would say, Stormy. Oh, yeah. Jerry had that voice off of uh, Silent for the Lambs. <laughs> yeah, put the lotion in the bag, that guy. That was him. <laughs> he had that voice. Got to get the ball to Stormy. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen, he wasn't afraid to get it to Stormy either. Even when you probably weren't ready to go or hoping the phone wouldn't ring with your name. <laughs> he told me the last day in St. Louis, and me and Jerry, I, when I'd seen it, we'd laugh about it. He'd say, Stormy, just leave him shower shoes on today, bud. You ain't pitching. I'm like, all right. I'd been in there fully spiked up and all that about the seventh inning. Hey, ask Stormy if he's got an inning today. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew, I knew my place with him. Oh. That's good to have somebody has confidence in you. Oh, yeah. Well, you Southern guys stick together, too, I think. Oh, yeah. All the necks. <laughs> you said that, not me. Hey, well, you told me something about, and you don't give up any names, obviously, but some umpire from the South. I don't know if he's from Tennessee or what. but Chattanooga. Walked, walked, you know what I'm talking about? Walked a, a baseball up to you and said, here, you want this one? had a big old gash in it. Well, we were in uh, my – debut in Boston with the Blue Jays. And it comes out from behind the plate, walks the ball and gets the ball from me. And he looks at me, he goes, what part of Tennessee are you from, son? I said, Loretta. He goes, I know where it's at, son. Just get it close. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. So pretty good, oh, you know, debut there. And I have a guy from Chattanooga behind the dish. I love that. Yeah, Dale Ford. Ah, well, you told me another another guy that walked a baseball to you and it had a big old like gash in it that you could really rip off and break a ball with. He's still an umpire, so I won't say it. But, yeah, he came out. Because, you know, the funny thing about it was is the guy told me, he said, hey, man, he goes, whenever you go up to hit, I was starting for the Marlins. He said, tell him you like his new country album. So I did. He goes, and he said, you listen to that swing music? And I had no idea what that album was. I said, sure, man, that's good stuff. And, you know, I ain't listened to swing music my whole life, that dosey do stuff. And, uh, man, from then on, my whole career, he he was great to me. And he's the one that walked the ball. I said, you want a good one or the one with the scuff? I said, which one do you think? He goes, here you go. And he gave me the scuff ball. That's beautiful. <laughs> and here's the funny story about that. I put the sky two outs against the Cubs, put the scuff on the wrong side. Oh. Instead of it sinking, I hit uh, the number three hitter or number two hitter for the Cubs, hit him in the ribs because it's cut instead of sunk because I had it on the wrong side. And Rondell White hit a two run home when we lost. Oh. So that's what I get for cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that part of it. Oh. Hit Bill Miller in the ribs. Yep. <laughs> I was with the Brewers. Uh, was there a guy that was a Hall of Fame caliber, a really good hitter that you just owned with, without me looking it up? Is there anyone? Well, that I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I had enough at bats against a couple of guys, but I know Jeter was 0 for 7 or 8, with 5 or 6 strikeouts. Uh, uh, Wade Boggs, I handled really well. Um, you know, and those, you know, both those guys. I'll tell you the one guy that I never wanted to face was Tony Gwynn. Um, uh, him and Bonds and those guys, they just wore me out. Well, uh, you're but, not the only one. Well, well but but I'm trying to think of somebody else that, that – uh, but those guys stick out in my mind because, you know, uh, both are Hall of Famers. Yeah. 
And I just remember the first time I was facing Wade Boggs, I'm like, man, I can't believe, you know, I'm facing Snake and Wade Boggs. But, you know, I, I never had any trouble with him. Did really well. Wow. Let's see. I'm trying to think of uh, your pitch repertoire. Sinker, slider, changeup. Sinker, slider. Because I didn't. I was, I thought in my mind, like I don't think he threw many fastballs. No, I, th- I mean I would occasionally straighten one out, you know, to a spot. But I, I was ninety-five percent sinkers and and slider and changeup. Do you have uh, recollections of how cool of a cat Dusty? Baker was oh yeah we were it's funny you asked that we, we were talking um today or yesterday with some people at a ball game and we were talking about you know sometimes when you meet your hero it's not a good thing and Dusty was always when I was growing up he was he your was guy he was my guy and so when I got to the National League and the first time he and I our paths crosses in San Francisco you know, and I went up to him and introduced myself and told him that, man, I got he's, I got him to sign two or three cards. And um, I told him how much of a fan I was of his and that he was my guy growing up. I was a huge Dodgers fan. And, uh, man, me and him just kind of kind of – every time we saw each other, we, he'd stay and talk with me a little bit. So meeting your hero and him being as cool as Dusty was to me was, was you know, was awesome. And uh, I love playing for Dusty. You know, he's uh, he was one of those guys that your locker room was a little bit uncomfortable because he wasn't afraid to make a move. Yeah. And and I felt like Dusty kind of got a little bit of the you know bad end of the things up there in Cincinnati. You know, he led them to the playoffs. And, you, and anybody's been in playoff baseball, you know, all these managers get all these kudos for how great they are and stuff. It's about the players have to make plays. They have to get hits and they have to throw zeros up. Yeah. And you get to the playoffs. I mean, there's very little really a manager can do. You know, it's all about pitching changes. The great managers know when to take a guy out and who to put in. And um, the other ones that kind of can't get over the hump, maybe leave him in there for a hit or too long or whatever. But that's your biggest deal as a coach is, is how you run your pitching staff. Hope you're enjoying the conversation with David Weathers, and we'll get back to it after these messages from Kroger. Baseball sounds great, right? We're already thinking about our favorite stadium snacks to munch on during a Reds game. Sour Patch Kids is one of the classics. First, they're sour, then they're sweet, and they're always delicious. Between the five flavors, of course, we all prefer Red Berry for obvious reasons, but hey, the other ones are pretty good too. Get some for the next game to munch on. Sour Patch Kids. Sour, sweet, gone. Enjoy Sour Patch Kids, available at Kroger throughout Red's country. At Kroger, we know there's never a good time to run out of fresh. Luckily, our delivery and free pickup make it easy to grab what you need. So whether it's a few extra buns for the backyard barbecue, strawberries for your post-workout smoothie, or some miscellaneous munchies for movie night, we make it easy to get back to doing, well, whatever you were doing. Get what you need right when you need it with delivery and free pickup from Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. All right, we're back with Stormy Weathers. I'm looking at uh, pitchers from the time you were a red, all-time rosters. I'm just going to throw out some names. Bronson Arroyo. Other than being a great picture, a pitcher, the greatest commercial ever with him and Chris Welch together again. <laughs> We're together again. Yeah, absolutely. Together JTM, baby. Yeah, yeah. Chris Welch breaking down with a tear. He oh, should have. Yeah, he should have won Best Actor in a commercial that year. But as good as Bronson was, I remember it together again. <laughs> Let's see here, Todd Coffey. Todd Coffey, big red, hot coffee. Big red. Uh, I'll never forget. Naren said, Call if I need you to lose that baby face, baby face and grow a goatee. You need to look tough. Really? And all I can remember is his picture on the Jumbotron. He looked like a seven year old. 
and we laughed and we laughed and laughed at that picture. And then he grew the goatee, so hot coffee. Good teammate. Danny Graves. What do you have one year with Graves? Me and Gravy played in half of 98 together. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. And half of 05 until the incident above the dugout. And, uh, yes. Listen, one of my, one of my favorite teammates, Gravy was, he's a good dude, you know, very positive. But, um, and I knew Danny and I were also teammates in 97 in Buffalo. Uh, I'm the, my last time in AAA. Wow. And so Danny, great guy, had a great career. He sure did. All-time saves leader in Reds history. Yeah. It's a long history. You mentioned Aaron Harang. Were you guys in spring training together? Was that this year? I remember no. That. No, Aaron was no, out there this year. Aaron was. Where the uh, heck I've did I see you last? I want to get out there. Um, you should get out yeah. there. Oh, I do. I want to get back out there. I want to, you know, do fantasy camp and all that and um, but yeah, Aaron, um, he and I, man, we played golf probably four out of five days on the road together and, and, uh, ate lunch and dinner together almost every day. And it got to a point where Gene and Kelly were like, they felt like we were cheating on them because we were hanging out so much. Uh, but great guy. I'm looking at these names, Gary Majeski. <laughs> you know, you know. Six. Tex is what you called him? Yeah, but off of that movie, do you remember uh, Forrest Gump, the guy that was oh, yeah. Jenny and told her to get on the bus? Yeah. That's Tex, so we always called him Tex. We called him Jiffy Lube. Oh, we, yeah. One There's of, a thousand names for Majestic. Because yeah, there was one day we did an interview, and it, it literally looked like he'd just got off work at, at the Jiffy Lube. Oh, yeah. That's him. <laughs> so... It Landlord, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> <Landlord>. <laughs> Kent Merker. Probably the guy I stay in contact contact with the most. He's really? Ryan's agent. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why didn't he put and, that? Uh, he works right. for Excel, but Casey now, me Close? And Merck, Yeah, with Casey. Now me and Merck, Todd, man, I mean, I'm gonna say top two or three teammate of all time and one of my uh, we had so much, uh, we sat down there and talked for nine innings and just one of the, one of my favorite teammates ever, just, he really helped me as a pitcher. He was, uh, he was, did a little bit of everything and he was really good to the young guys. And, but man, me and him, we just, from the first day on, we hit it off. Funny guy. You, you guys. Oh, he's yeah. he, not only funny, but so educated. Yeah. So smart. You know, he would do those crossword puzzles. The Sunday New York Times one, like the creme de la creme. Well, he would do the Chicago one on Sunday that had no any – it just had a square, and you had to read the clues and draw your squares yourself and color them in. And he could do that one in 25 minutes. Smart guy. Yes. Brilliant guy. Funny guy. Good pitcher. Well, I got a funny story on him if you want to hear it. Well, heck yeah. We're in Houston. This is one. This is another funny bus ride. We're in Houston. This man is two or three in the morning, and our bus driver is just jacked. Got the driver's gloves on. Big old dude. <laughs> we get on the back of the bus and we're going, and, and Merck's back on the back. Well, he just pops. He just lights a cigarette. Oh yeah. And this guy, the bus, he goes, hey, ain't no smoking on this bus. You got that? Like, real militant. And Mark goes, hey, bussy, just drive the bus. He just pulls over instantly. Starts storming back through there. And Mark goes, sir, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I put the cigarette. He got on. He went from all drive the bussy bus. He was tore all the pieces. He thought that guy was going to yank him up and throw him out on the road. And here's LaRue again, looks up at the bus. He goes, can't we all just be friends? And so it was, that was a fun bus night. But now Mark, he was, you know, that was him. That's beautiful. I remember a story. I think it was you and Merker. You were walking on Wrigley Field with one of the rookies who wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. 
And you know how they hung the, the flags of the retired, you know, players that they'd have like banks up there, Santo. Yep. Well, they had Williams up there, and I think they had a yep. pitcher named William Starting. He's like, they did. And the rookie was like, "Oh, it's pretty cool that they put the name of the starting pitcher on the flag up there." And Merker, without batting an eyes in, yeah, Santos going on Saturday and Banks on <laughs> Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> we were in the bullpen at Wrigley, and uh, the guy that you're talking about looked up and he looked at the left field pole. Looked at the right field pole, looked back to the left field and back to the right. And he goes, like that light bulb moment. Like, that's pretty cool. Mark goes, What do you got there, man? He goes, Dude, that's pretty cool. They put the starting pitcher up on the flag. And then that's when Mark dropped on him that Santo and and uh, Ernie Banks is pitching the wall. So, yeah. Well, what was funny about it is you just saw the light bulb go off. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, really? That is so awesome. Yeah. They were, uh, with said player, there were a few moments on on the plane where I'm like, wow, that's not the brightest guy right here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. Uh, well, he had some great sayings. He was a little bit like Yogi Berra. He said, you know, man, if my arm wouldn't get sore, I could pitch every day. <laughs> I mean, we're like, yep. He borrowed somebody's phone to take a picture. And they said, dude, why don't you get a phone with a camera on? He goes, when would I ever need it? Okay. <laughs> you, you just needed it. So that we have a thousand of those. I bet. Oh. Of the same guy. Uh, <laughs> we made him a t-shirt up that was hot pink and then bright yellow. It said, dum dum. <laughs> I did not know that. Yes. And he would wear it every day. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. I'm looking down this list. Arthur Rhodes. There's an intense dude. Yeah. Another guy right off the bat. One of my love playing with Arthur. He was intense. And i tell you what, the thing I liked about Arthur was um, he had been on a lot of winning teams as well. And he's just one of those guys. He, he didn't tolerate uh, guys not being ready to play. And he definitely did not tolerate young guys popping off or doing something to veteran guys that was like probably that's the you know i'll be honest with you jim i think that's when that all started shifting that was oh nine it um, did start shifting then right yeah, around then he was brought in and said listen you can't we can't haze these guys anymore those days are over they didn't want us to dress them up anymore none of that yeah all that ended in oh nine man but yeah arthur top notch well, he didn't. Uh, he didn't like the media too much. He, he, no, he didn't. I was scared to even look at Arthur Rhodes. Oh yeah, he had that look of like, I will, I will kill you. you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, he did. Uh, right, Arthur, yeah, you, got, was, you got a minute for a couple of questions? I'd look back. You know, he wouldn't even have to say no. I'd be like, all right, have a good game. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so let's see. You so you you stay in touch with Junior all the time. Not all the time, but we've probably, <clears throat> since I've retired, he's played in my golf tournament that I used to have. And, you know, we just, every now and then, man, just out of nowhere, he'll give me a buzz. That and, uh, Another funny yeah. guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, you know, the thing about him was he was tough when it came to, like, people he didn't know because so many people probably took advantage of him, like, when he would sign stuff and things like that. But on on our team, man, that dude was so awesome to all the kids, and yeah. And I mean, sometimes you're sitting there, and I'm in the locker room, and here's King Goofy Jr. and he's got Ryan in the headlock, power slamming him on the couch. And you know, I'm still man a fan of the game, and I'm like, oh, yeah. this King Goofy Jr. slamming my kid, how awesome is that? It doesn't yeah. get any better than that. Yeah, and Ryan loved him. You know, Ryan would go down and sit in his locker, and he would spring training and stuff. And he would talk to Ryan just like he would a player. Yeah. Um, so big fan of his, and you know, Jim, we got to be honest too. Here's a guy that did it right. His whole career, his, his numbers are legit all the way across the board. And you and I both know that if he doesn't tear his hamstring, uh, one of the first two years when he's in Cincinnati, he blows 700 home runs out of the water. 
completely changed everything in his game, that hamstring. It did. And I told somebody we were talking about, I said, you know, when all these people giving, and you know this, Jim, because you was in the locker room. I said, all these people give Junior a hard time all the time about how you don't play hard anymore and all that. And I'm sitting there going, if they could walk in that locker room and see us head to the shower and his hamstring is still seeping blood. Yeah. And he's got a hole in his in the back of his leg like the size of a half a dollar. I'm like, you know, there's reasons that that those things are happening now. If he stays healthy, there's no question. He he probably he probably gets closer to 800 home runs. I don't think there's any doubt. Um cuz he was still hitting them at a rapid pace. He was you he just you could really tell it on the base pass and in the field. It just man, he just didn't yeah. have the the legs anymore. But how about the night we're in Detroit and uh, Zamaya still in 101 and he hits that grand slam, 101 fastball on inner half. Right. And he clips it like it's nothing. He's 38 years old. Yeah. And he always had the flair for the dramatic, man. Those great players could come up with a home run when he needed to. Yeah. Um, You know, dad in the stands on Father's Day and he's sitting at 499 career home runs. About ready to go yeah. into the 500 club, and he does it on Father's Day with Senior yeah. sitting there yeah. at the edge of the dugout. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Who else we got here? Uh, let me, uh, Dunner was had to be just a hoot to be around. I mean, you've mentioned him on this podcast, but that that whole group. Um, Want to talk about like I when I would go to spring, I used to have. More fun covering those teams in spring training, and they weren't necessarily winning teams. And I did the winning teams because of the characters. You, so you guys were half nuts, which was great for my purposes. And Dunner would fit oh, into that category. Oh yeah, he's definitely. Uh, listen, all these guys—they're all in my. Like I said, all those guys were in my top ten. I mean, we spent so much—you know—spending five years together in spring trainings and. And all those things, man, you, you know, you just get close with the group. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get throw Richard Rudy in that group. You know, we played two or three years together. That was a good group of teams. You know, the reason we couldn't win is, is you know, some of it was starting pitching, some of it was relief pitching. But then we just couldn't – in that stadium, we just gave up too many runs. And, you know, we scored plenty of runs. Yeah. But it, we just could not – get over the hump on the mound as far as being able to compete for six months. Right. And, but offensively, we had some really, really good offensive players. No doubt. No doubt. It was fun. It was a fun team to watch, uh, regardless of the the record after 162 games. Right. It was definitely a fun team to watch. You, you had mentioned some of these favorite teammates as a, a red, you had mentioned someone that might, all-time overall teammates. Who who are some other guys on other teams that come to mind? Uh, favorite teammates of all time. Uh, Curtis Iskanik, uh, one of my top overall teammates that I had. Um, uh, Andy Pettit with the Yankees. Uh, a lot of those guys, man. Brian Bowringer and Graham Lloyd with the Blue Jays. Pat Henkin, Woody Williams, Mike Timlin. Uh, when I came up with the Blue Jays, that was a loaded group. Man, we had so many guys that came up. Derek Bell, uh, Tucker uh, Turner Ward, uh, all of us came up. Uh, Jeff Kent, you know, that all those guys came up through the Blue Jays system. Man. And uh, so all those guys are great teammates with the Mets. Johnny Franco, uh, Al Leiter, uh, Glavin and I were teammates. Um Steve Traxel, Steve, uh, Scott Strickland, that list is long up. I love those guys. Armando Benitez, uh, a lot of good teammates up there. Um, you know, the, the thing about those guys that I'm mentioning, all of us, uh, we were all from the same cloth for the most part. We were there to show up, do your job, and, you know, if you don't feel 100%, still do your job. Uh and that's the kind of guys that, that I just ran with that that um, that meant a lot to me because you were pulling from the same side of the road. And I think sometimes in baseball, and you have seen this a lot, you, if you have 25 dudes with 25 
objectives, you're not going to do anything. Yep. It's those teams that have 25 guys pulling the same way. And people don't realize how hard that is to find, but it is. And then, you know, with the Astros, Jeff Bagwell, uh, uh, Morgan Innsberg, uh, there, there were several guys on that team that I enjoy playing with. I'm sure if you said Lance Berkman's one of my all-time favorites. Oh, I bet. So, yeah. Uh, if you, I'm sure if you sat down and went over the rosters of teams you're on, you would think of funny stories about guys. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Uh, I've had a guy. Kelly says to me all the time. I, she goes, David, you should write a book just on a, a myriad of topics. You know, as far as how, coming up through the minor leagues. Uh, how to you know survive making it to the big leagues and how hard that was but she said all the stories you have and i have a guy back home that wants to do he said we need to sit down and just do a ton of podcasts and record them so one day you have these stories and he said you need to start writing them down but i've considered it you know and i think you, it, it would be need it would need to be written like i am you know scattered half you know tongue-in-cheek, I mean, off the cuff, man. I mean, there's a thousand ways you could describe how I was. But, you know, that that to me, that's what I, I tell Ryan all the time. You know, that's what I enjoyed about baseball is, you know, it didn't matter. Like, he was raised in the locker room. He didn't see Latin, black, white, whatever. You know, he just saw a bunch of his buddies right. that they went out there and played baseball with. That's the biggest thing that I love about baseball. And I can sit here and tell you when you're asking me about players, you know, man, I love, like I said, Cueto, um, uh, Coco, uh, all the Latin guys, man, uh, Juan Castro. I was just tight with those guys, uh, Eddie Guardado, uh, Kyle Loesch, man. We were all so tight um, that baseball really is one of those sports. It's unlike a lot of sports. I mean, there's very few sports you're going to have American white and black Americans, people from Mexico, Dominican, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Haitian, Japanese, Korean, Cuba. Yeah. Where else are you going to find that melting pot? And so I, that, that is my, the thing I loved about my time in the game is I just got to meet so many people. Uh, I couldn't name them all that it meant that I, that we were great friends and, um, and Jim, we got a thread on Major League Baseball right now. It's got fourteen thousand people on it. That's ex players, and really? man, we keep up with each other, and we uh, it's you know is this via text or this a uh, uh, Facebook or it's a uh, it's off it's a Facebook. It's Facebook. You'll click on there and it'll say, "Hey, I think the other account I saw the other day was like thirteen thousand eight hundred something members," and it's all former Major League Baseball players. Or my yeah, or, or minor, well, professional yeah. minor league. Yeah, and then I'm on one that they just started that has two thousand. Uh, Kirk Bavakla started it that it has two thousand, and you have to be a major league player to be on it. Uh, service time. Kirk so, Bavakwa. Yeah, Tommy. Let's so you know those things you never forget. And it's such a great fraternity, and I think that's why uh, a lot of players today don't understand the history of the game like they should. You know. You, these guys are making money and lots of it because of the guys before them. Yeah. And you got to stand in the gap for the guys coming behind you. Yeah. And that's the greatest thing about baseball. We could sit here and I could probably mention probably another 200 players that I enjoyed playing with in 22 <laughs> years and all the minor league teams I played on and all the big league teams I played on all the players I played with Jim, I can honestly say, on one hand, I can name you the guys that I just did not care for. Wow. That I thought were selfish and just couldn't stand them. And, wow. you know, it's a different group of men. And obviously some of that might have changed, but I'm just saying until 2009. And, you, and you're around it. Baseball players, I call it, we're just a bunch of bums. We're T-shirts, shorts. You know, not most guys are not flashy. Yeah. And you're just, you know, and um, it's the greatest game ever made. Yeah, and I'm glad I got the, uh, what I call the tail end of the, well, 
I don't want to say the actual name I have for it, but right, right. just, you. Uh, you know, when you say back in the day or old school type of baseball, it was uh, you around that time. That was the, the end of that, that breed, if you will. Uh, it has changed a little bit, and, hey, you know, I'm all for change. Well, and- the things that went on when I got called up in 91 for sure would not be allowed today. No. I'll never forget I walked in the locker room my first day ever in Toronto. I got called up on the road. So we were in Boston, and after three games, went back to Toronto. I've never been in Toronto, so I go in there, and, and I walk in the locker room like at 12 o'clock, and I look, and Jeff Ross, the equipment guy, had put me between um, Mookie Wilson and uh, oh, I can't even think of his name now, played center field, Devon White. And I look up there, and I'm like, crap, you know. Sure enough, I'm going Rest. Well, I can feel two sets of eyes looking at me. Yeah. And I look to my right, and Mookie's looking down at me. I look to my left, Devon, Devo is. And all of a sudden, they go, Jeff Ross, come here. And I'm like, crap. You know, I just want to be quiet. I don't even know. I don't want anyone to know I'm even in this locker room. Right. Now I'm going to be set out. And they're like, who who put the white boy here? <laughs> you know, and Devo's wearing me out. You know, he's from Jamaica. And uh, I said, guys, I'll move if you want me to. And they're like, no, nah, you're all right. But, you know, those things, man, I didn't – no offense to that, but, you know, those guys were wearing me out for the rest of the year. I bet. Yeah, you know, I mean, it didn't it, – it never stopped. And those veterans were rough on us. I, I tell everybody, I never sat down on a flight my first, my rookie year. You didn't I, sit down? Did they wouldn't allow you to sit down? Drinks. No, we all served. <laughs> they made the stewardess to sit down, and we had to serve all the food and stuff. Oh. And I'll never forget my first team party. I was so jacked, like, hey, man, Milwaukee and rookie and all this. Well, I walk in, and they gave me, a, like, a shirt and a, something. I had to deal cards the whole night. You know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> yeah. just didn't get to enjoy stuff. You were a rookie. Yeah, yeah. Just shut up, and we don't want to hear from you. They're not, and they're not as hard on they rookies They don't do that now. anymore. No. Not no. as hard on them now. Uh, we weren't even allowed to ride on the team bus. You had to be arbitration eligible. Are really? you on the coach's bus? Yes. If you were not arbitration eligible, you could not ride on the, the team bus. Wow. There are no players on the coach's bus now. Yeah. All on... I used to love riding the coach's bus. I said, yeah, I did that a lot. Yeah. I, you, you did, actually. It's come to yeah, think me and Aaron the players, rode, yeah, we the, almost rode the bus every time with the media. Yeah, the players would ride on there, particularly if they had a, a, a spouse on the trip. Yeah, uh, you would ride on that, but you oh. did solo though too. I do remember. Oh, you a lot. Yeah, I did because you know, as you get older, things change. You know, you don't want to hear all that riffraff all the time. Sometimes it's nice just to be quiet. But you know, I used to like to talk to Marty a lot, and uh, you know, Marty got he raked me over the coals as much as anybody in my career. And me and him talked, but it didn't bother me. I told Marty, I'm like, listen, dude, I know one thing, and I can't be a hypocrite. You're is is you're fair. You get everybody. But when I watch you getting guys, I agree with you. What you're saying, you're saying what everybody else is thinking. Right. So I know when you get on me, I know that I'm probably not where I need to be. And, and I think that's why he and I love doing his golf tournament. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a huge Marty fan. Well, you know, as quickly as he was to get on guys, he would be that quick to praise players as well. And you're right. There was no one that was immune to it. That's the one yeah. thing. He didn't like big favorites. I mean, but I'll tell you what, though, Jim, he never avoided the locker room. Every day he there. Was, he was there. If you got something to say, there he is. Yep. yep. And, uh, but Talked and about Marty, our, man, that on this podcast before. Well, that's cool. I have to ask uh, old Franchester Martin Brenneman about <laughs> Stormy Weathers. Well, you know, and, and Jim, you and uh, Marty and uh, me and Ranger and, and Hatch, and uh, uh, we all played a ton of golf together. Right. You know, we always played for Stancia in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. Marty leave four tickets. He'd get six rounds of golf. <laughs> Absolutely. That's <laughs> that's. People would say, "What's is there anything better than being Marty Brenneman? I'm like, probably not, but it's pretty good being his friend. Yeah, I tell you this, he never three-putted in his, on the card. Oh, no. No. 
He's, I, if he listens to this, he's going to crush me. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to have to point it out. I think he is. He just picks and chooses where he listens, but I think he has listened before. So, yeah. well, listen, I'll, I'll put a zinger on him. You know, you've got stroke play, you've got the Stableford scoring system, and then you have the Brenneman scoring system. Yes. Which, you know, it's a little different. <laughs> and he's on speed dial too, by the way. Tee it up, let's go. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt. I mean, the fastest golfer ever. I mean, he didn't. He didn't care how bad you are because you know he just doesn't care. Just play fast, though. I don't care. Yeah, he'd pull up sand the belt, slacks up, and just whack away. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he had the helmet hair back then too. Oh yeah, yeah. And he had Jeff Pecora on his back pocket. <laughs> Oh, pig had nothing for him. <laughs> None of us really had anything for him, man. <laughs> still to this day, he still kills me. Still crushes me. Yeah. Even in retirement. Those were good times. Oh, uh, they were good times, man. And I, I, I laugh and smile when I hear uh, guys like you tell stories. Uh, and like you said, I, I was, I was not a, a, a player, but being around it, I guess, as close as you can be without being a player or coach. Um, it was just cool. So just the memories are great and you're in there and I, I appreciate you, uh, coming on and talking about some memories, good old days. Well, I, pre I appreciate you having me. And, uh, anytime Jim, you know, uh, uh I still love the game and, and, and still watch it. And, but you know, I'm just one of those guys. I like the, the, a little bit of the old style of baseball and, um, you know, I like guys that won seven innings as starters, and you know, uh, the overall game been played a little bit harder than it is at times. So, you know, it's still the greatest game, and, and man, I'm glad that uh, I was a part of it, and I am definitely glad that uh, our paths crossed in Cincinnati. No doubt about that. And when you think of former teammates or players, and you think of these stories, just file them away in the back of your head because I'm coming back at you on down the road on this podcast. Hey, anytime, man. I, I'd love to do it again. All right, think of some, uh, think of some good stories. You should write them down. Change. You should take your friend's advice and start writing them down. Yeah, he told me. He said, if you'll just write those things down, he said one day. He said, you know, when we talk about these things, you can go right to your notebook and recall okay. all of it. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it, Jim. Thank all right, you. lots of luck to Ryan. I'll be following his pro career, uh, and I'm sure he's going to be going up the ladder quickly. And Dad will be nervous wreck in the stands. Just a no doubt about nervous it. Nervous wreck. Just about it. <laughs> It'll probably be, you know, as fate will have it, he'll probably make his MLB debut at GABP against the Reds. Hey, I'm telling you, uh, that would be unreal. It would be unreal. That would be uh, one of the greatest things. You know, I thought he might have had a chance to be a Red out of the draft. But, so did know, I. They went for a position player, which is fine, but you know how that is. Yeah. Uh, but that's, you know, the Cincinnati, the whole city and the, the Reds and all that, they just have a special place in our life. So, and that, you know, nothing ever changed yet. Well, we've got video somewhere of him hitting bombs, putting on a show as a kid. Oh, I'm sure. And whenever he does make it to the major leagues, if he's playing against the Reds and we're on the air, I bet you we pull that footage out. It'll be yeah, and I hope I hope you guys get that chance. <laughs> I do too. Maybe you know the thing, you know the greatest thing can happen is maybe he could spot in for, since Welchie's still there. Maybe he could set in for Bronson, and they could do a JTM commercial. Maybe you get player of the game or something. <laughs> get some free meat. <laughs> I'm gonna have to tell Welsh that uh, you brought that up twice. Yeah, tell him when he's playing the rules of the game on, on Facebook like he does, tell him just pop that video in there every now and then for commercial just to give us all a little remembrance. Well, we will periodically throw in, you know, when we're doing a game or if I'm doing sidelines or whatever, we'll just say, hey, listen, we're together again. It's a good day. We'll just you, drop yeah, together listen, again. All we're all over it. Hey, I've texted <laughs> him in the middle of the game when he's calling him. I've texted him stuff like that. Like, well, you dude, you just, man, you're bringing tears to my eyes, almost like a commercial. You know what? I, I, I need and to then like the fifth inning. <laughs> Do you really? Oh, yeah. I text him all the time <laughs> during the game, during the broadcast. Oh, you know Even what? Even Tom Renneman, one night I was wearing both of them out. Then they started wearing me out on the air. They would call my name out, but I knew they were talking about me. Really? 
Yeah. So you're messing with Why Tom. I've seen a ball hit like that. Well, since well, number twenty five was here. You know, so like, <laughs> yeah. That is great. I got you. Now, see, now you're making me call this commercial up. I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this or not. The... He sits alone. The Reds are not home, and that's okay. Cause they're together again. <laughs> Do you know how many times he brought to walk me a week drop out on him? Oh, I bet. He could grab a bottle of water together again. <laughs> oh, yeah, it didn't matter what it was. Oh, I should do play-by-play. Welsh is sitting oh. there. He, he gives a big sigh. He's got that stash. He's still got the stash. He sits alone. The Reds are not home. There's the tear. That's okay. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, if they took a vote, that would be the number one all-time commercial. That would be what? That would be the number one overall commercial ever in the Cincinnati metropolitan area. Really? Oh, man. Everybody together again. Are you kidding me? It was awesome. Oh, I love it. That's a great way to end. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jim. Uh, all right. David Weathers, thank you very, very much. Uh, appreciate it. We'll be getting with you on down the line. Thanks for hanging out with us here on the Jim Day podcast, everyone. And we'll see you on down the road.